So we're in Ephesians 2. Um, we've been going through a series uh, that where we're just kind of looking at our uh, four core values that kind of make us a church. It's called What Matters Most. Um, we have a mission where we want to help people find Jesus, uh, and we want to see them experience true life in him. We want them to know Jesus, and we want them to grow up in Jesus. And so we've said we've got these four values that, w- that we want to, to use to help us get to that goal. And, and, and so we try to do these things. And, and when I say try, what I mean is that we, we try. Okay, we're not perfect. We don't do things perfectly. Um, you are right now surrounded by, if, if hopefully this is no surprise to you, but you're surrounded by a group of people who who mess up. <laughs> And, and we mess up a lot. You know, collectively, we mess up a, a lot. So if you're comfortable with people who are probably a little bit like you, you're in the, the right spot because um, we are just real people who are in desperate need of God's grace. And we want to do everything that we can to follow him well. And not just in little corners of our life, but in every area uh, of our life. And so we're looking at these values to help us live out that call that God puts in our life. So uh, the first two we've already looked at were God's truth over our opinion. Uh, The second one was God's family over our isolation. And this week we're talking about grace. We're talking about grace, and I'm sure that's not a new word for you, but but specifically we're talking about God's grace over our striving. And what I want you to do is I want you to pay real close attention to how we've kind of defined this as a goal for us. That we said we want to choose to live in God's grace for ourselves and we want to choose to offer that same grace to other people as well. And we've even gone further than that and expanded that a little bit more. So the next one is right there. It's coming. Soon. There we go. Uh, Because Jesus has given us an immeasurable amount of grace, we choose to be people who daily live in his grace for ourselves and live out of his grace with others. God has done an incredible work of placing his spirit inside of us and completely changing our identity. As a result, we live in his grace rather than striving to earn his grace. And so in short, what we're saying is that we want to be people who refuse to work for something that God has already given us through his son, Jesus. We're just not going to strive for something that he's already done. Jesus has done a great work on the cross. And there is nothing that we can do to earn the salvation that he declared on that day on the cross. And on the other side of that, there's nothing that we can do to lose what he's given us. So it's kind of like you can't earn it, but you can't lose it either. And so instead of striving for something that we already have, we just want to enjoy it. We want to enjoy the salvation that God has given us. And so many times we wake up in the morning and we feel like, good gracious, I I mean, I just can't get going this morning. I I just can't get it moving. And we feel like joy is just oozing out of us. And like, we're wondering, like, why can't I be happy? Why is joy gone? Like, why, like, I know that God has saved me, but why don't I feel that today? Why don't I see that working in my life? And some, for some reason, we feel like something happened and it oozed out. And so in moments like that, we want to be people who ask God, God, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? Not re-give me salvation, but because I can't, I can't lose that, but would you restore the joy of my salvation? And so we want to live in his grace for ourselves, and we want to offer that same grace to others. Now, admittedly, it's a whole lot easier to ask somebody to give you grace than it is to be somebody who gives another person grace. Would you agree with me on that? Or be honest with me on that? Because there's so many times where I've messed up. Anybody in that camp, like I've, I've messed up. 
And, and I've, I've had to ask people, like, hey, would you forgive me? And, and I expect grace from them, right? But, but then when somebody wrongs me or does something wrong, and they're like, bro, would you give me grace? I'm like, man, I gave you grace yesterday. I forgave you last week. Like, what, what about today? No. And it's, it's so much easier to give it, I mean, to, to get it than it is for us to, to give it sometimes. And so I want you to look at Ephesians 2, and I want to show you where we're getting this from, okay? This isn't just us, it's not us making it up. It's not us just kind of, you know, this is the way we like it to be, and so this is how, like, how we're going to do it. This is, pay attention to the first three verses, because I think they paint a pretty nasty picture of who we used to be. And can I say, like, if, if you're a believer in Christ, this is a great opportunity as we dive into this section for you just to be like, man, God, thank you. Thank you that my life is no longer the same. Thank you that I was over here and I was dying, but you took me out of this through your son Jesus and you placed me over here. And now life is different. It's not always perfect, but I have a perfect savior who's done something significant in me. Thank you, God. And so as we read this section, as a believer, I just want you to look at this and say, Lord, thank you. But there's also another side of that that I know that there's probably somebody in here who does not yet know Jesus. And if you're somebody who doesn't know Jesus, this is telling you who you are right now without Jesus in your life. This is a snapshot of who you are and where you are in your life. And so I want to implore you, if you've never trusted Jesus, that you pay attention to this. And not just buck against it and be like, you know what, that, that's not for me. How many times have we heard something, man, that's for me, but we're like, man, they could benefit from that. I want you, if you've never trusted Jesus, to not be like, that's, that's, that, that's not mine, but to embrace it and to say, okay, okay, maybe this is for me. Maybe there is something to this. So if there is something to this, what do I do now? And so I just want to lay that framework out for you as we kind of dive into this section of Ephesians 2. You've got, as a believer, you can see it in one way, and as a non-believer, you're in another place, okay? Here's, here's verse 1. This is who we used to be, okay? So if you're somebody who writes in the margins of your Bible or you write somewhere, I would just write, like, scribble in there, used to be, and circle it, and highlight it, and put it in a, this is where, like, I used to be, I used to be, I used to be. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay? So it doesn't sound very good, does it? Like we're not off to a very good start right here. Um, but sometimes painting the picture of reality, it's not pretty. Reality sometimes is, is dark. And I think that there is an epidemic that we're living in in the culture that, that, that we're being raised up in right now. And when I say epidemic in our culture, there's probably a thousand things that go like, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. We could say that, but there's one specific thing. I think there's a lot right, but there's one, one thing that I want to talk about this morning. I think that there's this, this epidemic of us running away from reality. We have a reality that we live in that's going on in our life, but we do everything else to live out something else and not to stay in the realm that we're in. We're creating ultra-reality experiences. We're creating ultra-reality things, virtual reality. We're trying to escape our reality. Uh, and the truth is, like, there's a bazillion reality shows, right? Like, how many, how many of y'all are, like, reality show watchers? 
Nobody's raising your hand because you're like, I'm not doing that right now because I don't know where this is about to go, right? Reality shows don't exist on their own. They, re- they exist because people are watching them, all right? So you've got like Housewives of Beverly Hills or something like that. Who, who's the Beverly Hills people in here? Huh? Oh, okay. You, you have The Bachelor. Hey, people watching The Bachelor. And then like if you're a little seasoned in life, you think you're like, well, maybe you missed out. No, you didn't miss out because now they got The Golden Bachelor. All right? Like this is, this is for the gray hair folks. Like, you know what? I still got a chance. You know? It's, it's still there. And then you've got The Bachelorette. You've got Naked and Afraid. Anybody watch Naked and Afraid? Uh-uh. I, yeah, be like, don't tell them. I, I was riding with uh, Tony. We were going to uh, the uh, sportsman's retreat a couple years ago, and somehow we started talking about reality shows. And we were talking, you remember this? And we were, we were, ta- we were talking about um, uh, reality shows, and this Naked and Afraid came, came up. And I'm like, that would be, be so awkward, right? Like, you're just walking around, nobody's got any clothes on, and you're digging, and you're doing all that. Like, this. First of all, it's just wrong. And, and then it's just awkward. And, he's, and he was like, well, they don't call it naked and totally comfortable. You know? and, and you're like, well, I guess you're right. You just be naked and afraid. So you've got that and you've got alone and you've got survivor. You've got the voice. You've got special forces. You've got all these things. And then they have a reality show that is called The Real World, ironically. And, and the deal is we keep creating these things that lure us away from dealing with what's in front of us now. And so we end up sidestepping our own reality to watch somebody else's reality or their version of reality. Because to be honest, sometimes it's easier to watch somebody else live out theirs than for us to deal with our own. Um, Because there's a lot of stuff going on. It's easier to turn on the TV and to check out. It's easier to go to the bar and drink it away. It's easier to try to drown out the fact that our life is falling apart and it feels like there's seams and there's cracks everywhere and it's like slipping through our fingers. But yet, we know intrinsically that God could fix it. We know that he could, but yet we won't let him do it. And God has told us time and time and time in his word, he says, I am a very jealous God. Like like I'm, I'm jealous for my things and for my people. He's not gonna share his glory with anyone, with any other gods, with any, uh, with any other idols, with anything that threatens to take our attention away from him. He says, I am jealous and I'm not letting you go to those things. In Isaiah 42, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. And then in Exodus 20, when he's talking to Moses and he's giving out the, the, the 10 commandments, you know, He says to Moses, he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I don't think it can get any more clear than that. But in our society, we hear, like, man, I am jealous, or they are jealous. There is a negative connotation to that, right? But when we hear it from Jesus, or if we hear it from God, he's not sharing his glory with anyone. He's a jealous God. Everything that he has belongs to him. And what, and like, let's just say, like, he's a creator, right? So everything actually belongs to him. So he can be jealous over everything. But he also, he takes sin seriously. Now, we read that, we hear that, we sound like, well, God is, seems a bit harsh. Well, keep moving here. He's also pointing out the stark reality that without him, there's no hope in this world. There's a day of wrath that's coming that's going to, that's going to be poured out on, on sin. And those who have rejected Jesus, who've never trusted God's way of salvation through him, they are going to be subject to that wrath. There is no escaping that. It's all throughout Scripture. And so it does sound a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Unless, unless 
unless you take into consideration that wrath doesn't have to be your story. Wrath doesn't have to be the end of your path. God's grace, God's mercy can be your story. Just because you started down a particular road of sin doesn't mean that you have to follow that road all the way to its end, that you can veer off that there are signposts along the way that says this is not the way, this is the wide and, and the road that leads to destruction, but there's a way that leads to life that's, that's more narrow. So why don't you, there, you, you have an opportunity. You don't have to continue down this road. I remember, uh, or not remember, uh, our family, we love to go to Colorado. Um, and we've just been uh, graciously had time there uh, with, with uh, friends who loan us some space. And um, we go to a, a little town called Divide, and it's right on the bottom of, of Pikes Peak, and just gorgeous. Now, if you've been here for a while, you know I hate driving in the mountains. Hate it. I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to fly off the cliff every time I, I'm going up. And, but we love being in the mountains, and it's just glorious. And so when we're there, we hike a lot. There's one particular trail uh, that we love to hike. It's gorgeous. You're like, you are going up the hill, and uh, like it's just trees and rocks, and uh, you're out of breath by the time you get to the top, and then you kind of come down, and then you eventually you work your way down into a valley, and then it opens up to a meadow, and there's a beautiful stream that runs through, and you keep walking through that meadow, and then you start elevating. You start going up the mountain. Beautiful. Somewhere along that path, there is a trailhead that goes off to the side, and it's called Devil's Tower. And I'm like, no, nah, bro, I'm not going that way. I got nothing to do with the devil, first of all, and I don't know where that's going to take me. Actually, I do know where it's going to take you. It takes you up Pike's Peak. And we're like, our family, we're not ready for that, right? We got littles and we're trying. We're not ready for that. So we have an option. We can continue to go straight in the way that we know is right, or we can take the signpost and go to a way that we know is wrong. You don't have to continue down a path of sin. You can make a U-turn in another direction. And so we have this dark reality that gets painted here in these first three verses. And, and, and let me stop and let me ask you to consider. Believers who are in the room, are you thanking God right now? I'm asking you to look at these passages. And if you're a believer, thank God, thank you for doing a work in my heart. Th thank you that, that you helped me to take another path that I wouldn't have otherwise taken. And, and maybe if you've never trusted Jesus yet, are you at least uncomfortable about how Paul's writing maybe your story and how he's talking to us? Is there a challenge or a check in your spirit that says, I don't know, maybe this is true. Maybe this is for me to hear right now. Let's keep reading. Verse four, but God, okay, but God. Two of the strongest words in all of scripture here, but God, underline that, highlight that. Um, if you're like a tattoo person, like go get that tattooed on you, all right? Maybe don't, right? Or you could if you want to get a tattoo. I was thinking in my office this week. I was like, you know what? I need to get some new ink. So let's do like a big butt God right here, you know? Um, or, or like on my calf or something. Think about all the conversations you could have with somebody. Like, hey, what's, why do you have butt God on, on your leg? But let me tell you the story of how God intervened. It could be a story. Like, don't. If you do, tell me. Like, it'd be cool. Take a picture of it and, and send it to me. These two words are phenomenally strong. Maybe two of the strongest words in the entire Bible. But God, what do they mean? They mean that God intervened. They mean that, that God stepped in and, and, and he changed direction. He changed your direction. I want to take a little poll. Did anybody get in trouble while you were growing up? Anybody in here? Yeah, you're in good company. 
Uh, how like some of y'all don't raise your hand? Like, did you just like live the perfect life and you didn't get in trouble at all? Like, I don't know. Like, may, come talk to me. Like, we'll talk about lying, okay? We'll just talk about that. And then I'll go tell your parents and then you'll get in trouble, okay? Um, how, like, we've been, in, we've been in trouble, but I'm thankful that in my life that I've had these but God moments when I was growing up or else I wouldn't be standing here right now. Because God intervened and he changed my path so many times. How many of us in the room have but God stories? Like you've been living and you've been on your own, you've been doing your thing, but then God stepped in your life. You're like, man, I didn't see that coming. And it changed everything. Like for me, um, I was driving uh, with three of my friends when I was uh, 16. I'd just gotten my driver's license and um, we were on a, a, a wet road. And the, you know, like 16 is when we could do it in, in Ohio. We moved here and people started like driving around at 14 and, and be like, hey, I just got my permit on, like, you look like you're still in grade school. And, and like, yeah, you can get your permit when you're 14. Like 14 years old? Like you can drive around here? And so my daughter now, like she's like almost to 14. She's like, dad, I can get my permit when I'm 14. I'm like, no, you can't. She, she's like, but, but the laws, I think they changed the law, huh? I think it's like when you're 20, you can drive now. Um, so like, don't tell her any different. Like the, in our house, the law changed, okay? So like at 16, I was driving and I was new to this. And I was with three of my friends and the road was wet. And I was driving on a road that I wasn't familiar with. And it, it took a sharp turn and there was a stop sign. And, I, and so like I hit the brakes, but the road was like, it was, it was going straight. And then there was a crossroad coming this way. And then there was nothing on the other side other than a cliff that led to a, a creek, big creek that was down underneath of it. And so I, I, I saw the stop sign and I hit my brakes and my car didn't stop. My, my, little, my little Plymouth duster could not handle the, the braking in this moment. And so I just kept flying and I went over the edge. Now here's where the butt God moment stepped in for me. There was a tree probably about this big around that we hit and it broke and it went in half and my car was sitting on top of it over top of the creek. And, and so God like stepped in and kept me from flying off the cliff. Now here's another but God moment. If that tree would have been bigger, we likely would have died when we hit it. If that tree would have been smaller, it would not have stopped us the way that that car or the way that that tree stopped us. This was a moment where God stepped in. It was a but God moment. And there's been moments like that all throughout my life. Things blowing up around me, things being shot at me, but God steps in and does something. Every one of us who are sitting in here right now who has trusted God, you have a but God moment where he has stepped in and he has changed the direction or the course of your life. And if we were to go around and share those stories, man, we would be laughing, we would be celebrating, we would be bawling and cheering, like all those things and praising God for what he's been doing. But humanity, humanity was, was dying. We were dead with no hope. And we were flying over a bank. But God steps in. He puts his son Jesus in the way. He puts a tree in the way. He put the cross in, in the way so that we might not die, but that we might be able to have life. And the way that Paul tells us this, he says, there's mercy and there's grace that comes through Jesus. Uh, check this out in verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, this is what God did. We, we wanted not, like we were, uh, we were uh, subjects of God's wrath, okay? His face was against us at this point. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, here's what he did. 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you've been saved. Would you underline mercy, circle mercy, underline grace? Grace is phenomenal. But what is it? What is it? it it's something that is given to us that we just don't deserve. Like we think sometimes we deserve it. Like, man, I, 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 I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at life. I'm doing okay. And we think that we can, we can earn God's grace. But no, it's, it's God giving us something that we don't deserve. Or it's, it's, it's getting what we don't deserve. Uh, mercy is not getting what we deserve. As I told you, I got in trouble a lot when I was a kid. And uh, I, I got the opportunity several times to go out to the yard and get a switch. And anybody get in trouble growing up and you had to, uh, like, uh, like, do you remember getting spanked? Like the older folks in the room, like you get spanked, you get spanked. You, you can talk about spanking now like you go to jail, okay? But like when we were growing up, like spanking was it. Like, like if you were close enough, you got hit. And uh, so I had the opportunity several times to go out into the yard and to get a switch, to pick my own weapon that I was going to be disciplined with. And so I would go out and I would try to find the most dead branch that I could find. Like, you know, this thing had been dead for like 15 years. And I'd come back in with this and like, hey, try this one. And, and like, no, go back out and get something that's skinny that's going to sound like a whip when it's coming across you. And, and so like, maybe I need therapy. <laughs> I'm realizing as, as I'm talking here. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> But, but here's the deal. Mercy is not getting the spank that I deserved. Um, grace is not getting the spank and then being taken to get some ice cream instead. So instead of the spank, I actually get ice cream. Look at verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Can we just sit in that for a minute? Um, th this might be familiar to you as, as a believer. But I want you to hear those like, like, like you've never heard them before. And if you're not a believer in the room, I want you to let those words sink in. Because this sounds a lot like grace to me. It sounds a lot like grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For by grace, for by grace, for by grace, you've been saved. And that means that because of God's goodness to you, if you've wondered about God's goodness or where God is or how God could, because of God's goodness to you, he's given you something that you don't deserve. Again, you may feel like you deserve it, but we don't deserve it. It's a gift. It's free to you. It really is a gift. And here's the thing I know about gifts, and I'm sure you probably know this about gifts too. Gifts are free to you, right? Like if somebody's given you a gift, like it's absolutely yours. You don't have to pay anything for it. Like, okay, thank you. thanks for the gift that you give me. This is awesome. And when you've been given a gift, they belong to you now. It started off in the hands of the giver, but then that giver gives it to you, and there's like no take backsies, right? Like it's yours. Like you, don't have to, you don't have to give it back. And then you also, you don't have to receive it. Somebody could offer you a gift, and yet you could say, you know what? Actually, I'm good. I, I, you know, I don't need that. And you could refuse to receive the gift that somebody's trying to give you. And the last one is that gifts aren't earned. 
If somebody wants to give you a gift, it's not necessarily because you've earned it. It's, it's, um, just, they want to give it to you. Um, let me tell you something that might be a surprise to you right now. Christmas is in a month and a half. Let that sink in for a minute. Anybody got your, your uh, shopping done already? There was a gal in the, in the first service. She was sitting over there like she said, I'm all done. It's like, are you kidding me? This is nuts. But for me, when I was studying this week and this popped into my mind, I was like, oh, are we really that far? I mean, we're that close? Like it is a month and a half out. Now think about this. As you're thinking about getting gifts and your Christmas list and all that, does everybody on your list that, that you're buying a present for, do they deserve it? The people on your list, do they, do they, do they deserve the gift that you're going to give them? Um, have they earned what you're going to be giving them? Like, don't say yes or no, because that person might be sitting next to you right now, okay? And I don't want to start any fights. But have they earned it? Do they deserve the gift? Or do you simply want to bless them in spite of their behavior, in spite of what they've done? It, salvation is a gift, right? It's God's grace to us through Jesus. It's something that we can't earn. It's not something that we can stack up enough good credits for or good works for or enough merit for to earn what God has given us. Because good works and merit, those come from us. That's our work. It's the things that we do. But yet God is saying, no, it's not by your work. Like it's by grace that I'm giving you. So salvation and grace, these things are based on Jesus and the work that Jesus has done. And his work is always gonna outstack our work. We can't work enough for that. So if we can't work for our salvation, if we know salvation is a gift and we can't earn it, why do we keep trying? Why do we live like we have to earn our salvation every stinking day? Why do we keep trying and striving for something that God has already given us? I think it's because maybe somehow we think that we could lose it. I mean, we would say... Some of us, we would say, no, you, you can't lose your salvation. But don't we live like we could sometimes? Like, or, or we think like we, we made God mad. And if we make God mad enough, like he'll turn his back on us and, and be done with us. And he's not going to love us anymore. You know, Israel, uh, way back in the day, um, God get, had given them a few laws to live by. To walk in obedience with him that would keep them alive and healthy. And then a group of people created 635 more laws to go on top of the laws that had already been given to them. And, and I think it was a, like a good idea, like in their minds, like look, they, here's the law, we don't want to sin against God, so let's just build a fence around those laws so we don't break those laws. And then what ended up happening with these 635 laws, there was a sense of legalism that began to kick in. And so it became more about the laws than it did about loving the Lord. And, and so they became very legalistic and they stopped enjoying the Lord God, who they were supposed to be in, in relationship with. My old mentor used to say this. Uh, he used to say, grace says there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. God loves you perfectly right now because his, his love is not predicated on your performance, but on his character. He is love and he can't help but love you. He's already approved you in Christ. Hey, that's what he's done because he loves you. I think so many times, uh, us, us as believers, we have swivel chair theology. 
That, like, we, we look at the Lord like he's this, he's this old man or whatever image we have of God, and he's sitting in a chair and, and somewhere in eternity with, with angels and stuff like floating around him and smoke and all this, and he, but he's sitting in this divine swivel chair, and we're standing in front of him, and we have to do all the things. We have to read the Bible, we have to pray, we have to give to the poor, we have to not hit our spouse, we have to not hit our siblings, we have to um, go to church this many times a year, we have to, all these things, right? We, we have to do all these things, and as long as we continue to do these things, God is sitting in this chair and he's looking at us and he's smiling at us. They're like, oh, he loves us because of all this stuff that I'm doing. But then, we don't. We mess up. We sin. We did something wrong. We failed. In our minds, we made God mad. We know ourselves. We know the things that we're capable of. We know what happened last night. We know what happened last week. We know how we treated him. We know the way we smudged the numbers on, on, the, on the returns. And we begin to stack those things up while we're looking at the Lord and we feel like we've just done way too much and because we've done way too much, God's gonna stop loving us or he's gonna stop liking us and his countenance towards us is gonna change. And so as he sits in his chair, he just kind of spins around until his back is towards us. And now we have to play this dancing game of getting him to turn back around and look at us again. And perhaps he might smile at us again. And maybe to the worst extreme, you think, well, maybe I have to do the right dance to get him to love me again or to earn back my salvation. And so we do the dance. Life becomes a dance. Let's just not make God mad so that he can spin around. And can I tell you, that's exhausting. That is an exhausting life to live. But that's not God. He's never said that. Does he care about sin? Absolutely, he cares about sin. He wants zero sin in your life. Does he care about you? Absolutely, he cares about you. Does sin jack up your life and does it have consequences? Absolutely, it does, and it has consequences. Does he care about his reputation? Yes. Does he care about his name? Yes. Does he care about the church? Yes. But is this the picture that Scripture gives us of God? No, it's, it's not. What's the picture? You were dead in your sin. Dead things don't breathe. Dead things don't move. He said, you were dead in your sin. You were a child of wrath. But God. But God. But God's grace. God gives mercy. But God. Grace says there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing that you could do to make God love you less. God loves you perfectly right now because his love isn't predicated on your performance and you doing all the right things and doing all the right dances and stacking up all the right things. But his love is based on his character. He is love and he can't help but love you. Please hear that. Please hear that. And so since we can't earn grace, let's stop trying. Let's stop trying to earn his grace. How about we start living from his grace instead of trying to earn his grace? If you've trusted Christ, you already have it. So live in it. Accept his grace for yourself and then offer that grace to other people as well. And so let me challenge you this week. Let me challenge you to find, and you're like, where am I just like not, I'm, I'm seeing the wrong picture of God. Like he's in the swivel chair. Like he's doing this thing. 
Where do you need grace in your own life and to see God the way that scripture teaches us about God? And where might you need to offer grace to somebody who's just been very challenging, maybe in your life? It's easy to, to offer or to want grace from others. It's a lot more difficult to offer grace to others who, who need it from you desperately or really need the grace of the Lord. Um, I, I remember in 2017, I was uh, standing in the kitchen uh, in our little rental house in Frisco, Texas. And I was, I was praying and I was writing some things down uh, in my journal. And if, guys, if that weirds you out, like just call it a notebook, okay? Um, I, I was writing some things, or my survival guide. That's what I was doing. I was in my survival, my survival papers, you know? I, I was writing things in there and just praying. And I'm gonna tell you, I don't know what happened. I, I honestly don't. But for, for the first time in my life, I, I felt that God loved me. I gave my life to the Lord in 1999. I was a rascal of a teenager, made a mess of my life. And the Lord saved me. And, and I knew God loved me. I knew the stories, right? I, I knew I, I was growing and I was falling in love with Jesus. But this was the first time in my life that I actually felt like, man, God loves me. Like, like he, it, he doesn't have to. Like, he wants to. He wa- like, and then, at the same time, I, I felt like not only did he love me, but he liked me. That, that, that when he sees me, he's smiling because he's not looking at my sin and my failures and my mess-ups as a believer in Christ, he sees Christ in me. And so he's smiling at his son. He's smiling at the image of the one who's given you life inside of you. And so I felt for the first time, not only did God love me, but he, but he liked me. And can I just tell you this morning, if you're a believer in Christ, God loves you and he likes you. He does not like sin. It's not approval for sin. But he's not swiveling around in the chair saying, play the right tune and do the right dance for me to turn around and like you again. It's already Christ in you that he loves. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for uh, time together in your word. Um, Thanks for Ephesians 2. Thanks for grace. Thanks for Jesus. What a gift. What an offering to us that we just certainly didn't deserve. But yet you've given him to us anyway. And and so thank you for even the faith that you give us to believe and, and to trust that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody would come to the Father through, except through him. And so I pray for our body of believers right now that we would just thank you for the work that you've done. And for those who in the room who don't yet know Jesus, I pray that today would be the day, God, that you would help them to stake a, a, a stake in the ground right now and to say, I believe, I'm not, I'm not going down this road that I've continued to go down for so long. I'm not gonna see how it ends. I see Jesus and I see you calling me over here. And so I want to trust that way. So I pray for those who don't yet know you that today would be the day that they come to know you. Would you give them that faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to uh, do communion together. We have four stations uh, around here. If you're gluten intolerant, there are gluten-free options uh, that are on the table as well. And we do this. What we're doing is we are remembering exactly what Jesus has done right? He's gone to a cross. He's given up his life so that we might have have salvation. And and, uh, on the night that that this like started, Jesus is meeting with his disciples and they're celebrating the Passover meal. Jesus has got different things in mind. The the disciples are like, oh, this is going to be normal. But Jesus sits down and he begins to redefine everything that's at that table. It was a customary table. They were used to it. Um, 
bread would be passed around and they would talk about some things. And so Jesus, he actually, he took bread and, and he broke it and he kind of redefines it. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And they had no clue really what Jesus was talking about. They didn't know what was getting ready to come. But then uh, Jesus at the table, he takes uh, the cup and it was the cup that they were so familiar with, with, with Passover meal. That Jesus, that, that somebody would take the cup and they would begin to talk about all the things that God had done through the history of Israel. How God had saved them from the Red Sea or saved them from Pharaoh and the Egyptians and parted the Red Sea. How God led them through the desert. How God had been faithful to them. And they would just talk about God's goodness and how he walked them through. But yet this time when Jesus took the cup, it was totally different. He doesn't talk about the past. He actually talks about the future. This is the cup that you're holding. This wine that we're drinking here, this is the blood of the new covenant. When you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. But what he was saying is, I'm not going to drink this again until we drink this anew in, in the kingdom. When we're all sitting around the table together and the marriage supper of the lamb is here and we're clinking cups together and we're celebrating and we're eating together and we're sitting together with old saints or sitting together with saints that are sitting in this room right now and we are just enjoying the salvation that God has given us through, through Jesus. So I'm not going to do that again until, until we're all together. And so we do what we do here in remembrance of what is, like it's, it's his life. The life that he lived, the death that he died, and the hope that we have for eternity. And so when you come and you grab some bread and you grab some juice, this is what you're doing, guys. You're remembering his body, which was broken. And you're also remembering the blood that was spilled that gives you hope for eternity. So would you pray with me? And then as a family or as an individual, you guys can come to any one of the four stations and, and take communion together. Jesus, thank you so much. Thanks that you were willing to go to a cross. It was not easy. It tormented your soul in the garden. Thank you for doing that so that we wouldn't have to. And we lean on you and trust you, not on our own works, not on our, our, on our own merit, not on our own ability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We lean into you, Jesus, for the work that you've done. You spilled the blood. You went to the cross. You raised from the dead. You are our hope. You are our salvation. And so as we eat the bread this morning, we remember your body that was broken. As we drink the juice, we remember your blood that was poured out for us. And we remember that our story doesn't end in wrath. Our story ends in hope and grace and a future. So Father, lead us into that place, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.